Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. If you head over to the new website, outreach.faith, you'll find these words to greet you. Welcome. God loves you. At least, that's what it says as of recording. That's not a terribly novel concept, right? And yet, for so many people in our church, those words are foreign. And too many folks in the LGBTQ plus community may have never heard those words at all. That's what outreach is all about. It's an LGBTQ Catholic resource and an initiative of American media. Its goal is to remind the LGBTQ community that God loves them and that they have a place in our church. And today's guest, our old friend, Father Jim Martin, is here to tell us all about it. If you're familiar with Father Martin, you know that accompanying folks in this community is an important part of his ministry, and he's learned a lot as a result. That's why he knew outreach was necessary, the chance to fill a gaping hole in the resources our church offers. You'll learn about outreach and discover ways to get involved throughout our conversation. But I encourage you to head over to outreach.faith now and click around for yourself, or maybe for someone you love. There's a lot of great stuff to find. And now, Father Jim Martin. Father Jim Martin, welcome back to AMDG. Thanks. Great to be back. I know. We're excited to have you uh, today to talk about this great new and really important initiative that, that you're working on, I know, with a, with a big team uh, called Outreach. So right out of the gate, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Outreach is? Yeah, so Outreach is an LGBTQ Catholic resource. Uh, it's online. We also have a conference coming up in June. But it's mainly a, a website that's going to help LGBTQ Catholics and those who minister to them. It has... Uh, three main parts. It has news and views, which is news, obviously, but also essays. Uh, We have our most recent one by Bishop John Stowe of Lexington talking about welcoming LGBT people. Uh, And then we have um, resources. We have a big resource library from all over the world in different countries, organizations, articles, books, videos. And then we have a section called Gaudete, uh, which is lifting up uh, parishes, schools, and people who are providing a welcoming home for LGBTQ Catholics. So it's pretty exciting. And, um, you know, we'll see where the Holy Spirit takes it. What? Uh, obviously, we'll see where the Holy Spirit goes. But but what right now in this moment, what is your greatest hope for this project? Yeah, my greatest hope is that um, someone who doesn't feel welcome in the church will be able to sign on to our website. It's free, obviously, and find resources and articles that will make them feel more welcome and that will remind them that God loves them. Uh, that they have a place in the church, and that they have a lot to contribute. And it really is, it's also trying to do things for people around the world. Um, so, you know, people in Eastern Europe that might not have a website like this, we hope that they can find, uh, you know, a, a place where they can uh, feel supported in their in their faith. I know, too, that it's, it's so important for people to see themselves, right, reflected in the mm-hmm. church and to see their stories reflected in the church. How, uh, how, how do you hope to accomplish that as, as this, as this uh, website gets bigger and, and, and the stories become more in number? How, how can uh, people, again, plan to see themselves reflected in, this, uh, in the church writ large through this, through this site? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one is through uh, personal essays. Uh, for example, we have an incredible essay coming up. Uh, by a a sister who works in India with transgender people, so just her story. Um, In this Gaudete section, we're going to raise up people and individuals, and even if you go on it now, you can see individuals who are working in their parishes. We're going to have high school kids and uh, college kids um, writing for us. 
So, yeah, I, I think that they'll be able to see themselves in the authors and also in the people that we profile and in the institutions. Yeah. And, and, and I bet to feel that, that network, right? I mean, the church is global, but mm -hmm. just to feel you're not alone, right? It, it, there's this whole worldwide community of, of, of people that are, uh, that are here and apart and, and care and, and love one another, right? That's what the church is all about. Yeah. And I think also, you know, we have a huge list of organizations which people had uh, sent us before we launched, uh, really, you know, from all over the world. I mean, Malta, um, East Africa, uh, Indonesia, and so I think people can see that this is really kind of a worldwide network. We, we, one of the reasons we started it was because there really wasn't any sort of clearinghouse or a central place where all these different, loca all these different resources were located. And so that's what we're trying to uh, start to do here. Yeah, no, it's really exciting. Uh, you know, I, I bet a lot of our listeners are familiar with you and, and your ministry, uh, particularly with the LGBTQ uh, community. But I wonder if you might give uh, any listeners who might not be as familiar with, with your work, um, the kind of the elevator pitch. How did you get involved? And, and most importantly, what have you learned uh, through this work that you do? Yeah, great question. So it's only recently that I've been working with this community in a more formal way. I, Without giving you my whole life story, I entered the Jesuits in 1988. I went through my formation. I did all sorts of things, including working with refugees in East Africa uh, for two years, uh, was ordained in 99. And since then, I've been working at America Media and writing books on Jesuit spirituality, the saints, Jesus, those kinds of things. And in 2016, after the Pulse nightclub massacre, I was really, I would say, inspired to sort of step out a little bit more uh, and work with this community, um, which is, it's kind of funny. Uh, people who know me just from this assume that I've been, <laughs> I've been doing this since I heard the Jesuits, which is certainly not the case. But it seems to be something that, you know, I would say the Holy Spirit, you know, has kind of invited me into. With, by the way, my, with the uh, support and approval of my Jesuit superiors, like everything I do, including this website, of course, uh, you know, has to go through all the Jesuit uh, chains of command. So it's all done from within the society. Right. No, of course. And it has uh, has all the all the, the blessings of everybody at every mm -hmm. level. Right. So this is this is a perfectly good and, and, and helpful website for everybody to to to, to visit. Uh, I wonder, you know, you know, obviously, you you know, the Pulse Massacre was uh, mm -hmm. was such a traumatic event. Right. Uh, I, I, but it stirred in you this, you know, you, you kind of went out and, and it's it, it's it's led to some of these um, really good, good fruits for that community. Um, I wonder how your personal relationship with God, right, your, your own prayer life has changed and evolved as a result of, of coming to know this community uh, more and, and more deeply? That's a great question. I would say um, it's, it's mainly been kind of a deeper connection with Jesus who's been rejected because I've gotten a lot of uh, opposition. So it's uh, the rejection at Nazareth, that great, pair, that great story where he is, you know, kicked out of the, the synagogue in Nazareth. And, you know, basically he, he's free of that need to be loved or liked or approved of. And so that gives me a lot of freedom in terms of the ministry. You know, even though I said I have, you know, I have the backing of my Jesuit peers and my Jesuit brothers, etc., you know, you still get a lot of opposition online. So it's that facet of Jesus's life. And then also, uh, you know, I think a lot of LGBTQ people are really kind of on the cross now uh, when it comes to their church. And, you know, you see people really being mistreated. I hear stories like this every day. People send them to me. So it's also with being with Jesus on the cross. Um, there's that, as you know, there's that great meditation and the exercises. What have I done for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? What ought I do for Christ? And I think you know, part of what ought I to do is to try to help this community, you know, really in their in their pain and in their suffering. 
it seems like uh to use a, the, the again more the language of the exercises but that 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 second week of of, of kind of mm-hmm. walking with jesus coming to know jesus and 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 who jesus uh accompanies and ministers and loves right and uh and, and what that kind of standard of, of jesus is what's the way of, the way that we're called to live that's a great insight. You know, I never, frankly, I, haven't, <laughs> I should have been, but I haven't thought about it in terms of the weeks. But yeah, I would say the second week in terms of following him in his ministry and being excluded, you know, his, his kind of being rejected, that's the second week. And then also the third week, you know, him on the cross. And, you know, how can we, how can we minister to Jesus on the cross? And I, you know, again, I think that a lot of LGBT people are, are kind of on the cross these days. So interesting. Yeah, second, second and third week, I would say. Probably yeah. there's first and fourth week in there somewhere too, but <laughs> for listeners who are wondering what we're talking about, for, the right. first week, right, is that is that yeah. kind of contemplation of hell. The second week is that walking with Jesus in His mm-hmm. ministry. The third week is is the passion and death, mm-hmm. and then the, the fourth week is is Easter and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, you know, just kind of you know, we're in the Easter season, and as we think of that fourth week, um, have you had uh, what what are those of those moments of hope and 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 inspiration and kind of resurrection experiences as you as you work with this community? Perhaps outreach uh, this website is is an example of of that moment of hope. Well, you know, I mean, this is going to sound like you know promotion for the website, but it really is because this started um, with an idea of just bringing together some videos we had from an online conference uh, from last year. We said, well, we have these videos, we might as well start a website. And then I started to think, well, if we're going to start a website, why not, you know, put resources on it? If we're going to do that, why not have news and views? I started to raise money. We were able to raise quite a bit of money. Uh, the person who is our web developer at America, who's amazing, um, said, I'm happy to do this. And I thought, well, you know, here's an opportunity to do something that's, you know, not, nothing that I had sort of planned on in my Jesuit life, but it's a surprise. And I think the resurrection is a surprise for people. I'm obviously, just for the record, I'm not comparing this website to the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but we have to look for different moments of new life. It's certainly, for me, an occasion of new life. And, you know, given that it just launched, uh, it's exciting. And, you know, new beginnings, as Dorothy Day once said, you know, are always fun. Uh, and so I see this as a real uh, example and a sign of some new life. But, you know, day to day, it's when I see um, priests or bishops or Catholic sisters or dedicated lay people reaching out to LGBTQ people when I give talks at uh, a high school or a college or a parish that's starting an LGBTQ outreach group. So there's lots and lots of signs of new hope that I see every day. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that, I think you said the re- resurrection is a surprise. I think, you mm-hmm. know, our, our God of surprises, you know, how is God mm-hmm. moving in new and surprising ways? And, uh, and how are we invited to, to collaborate in that work? Right. Yeah. And also, you know, I mean, we can either be like the disciples, cowering behind closed doors on holy on good friday or holy saturday or we can you know really believe in the resurrection and take steps forward and go to the you know go to the tomb and expect it to be empty one of the uh, you know i uh, the idea of kind of collaboration i, I wonder how mm-hmm. um how are members of, of the lgbtq community um contributing to or 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 uh working with kind of the aside from just kind of sharing sharing stories um you know being being part of this uh being part of outreach right from the get-go yeah, great question. So I have a kind of informal, I don't even, I don't even know what to call them, kind of like team of advisors. They're not exactly a board of directors, but about, gosh, 15, I just sort of created this informal list and they've been part of the planning process all along, giving me advice, things like that. Certainly writing for the site, you know, as you were saying, um, you know, their voices, that's probably the most important way going ahead. Um, and, and yeah, and I'm, I'm working really closely with people from the LGBTQ community 
um, both as benefactors, writers, and just kind of advisors saying, yeah, you don't want to do this. Why don't you do this? Uh, giving me advice. And, you know, because it's, you know, it's, it's not just me. It's not just the Jim Martin website. Um, it, it should be for everybody, right? And, um, and it's been challenging. It's, it's been great. I think, you know, they've challenged me to uh, do more, basically. It's the, and I think that's kind of fun. And part of it is saying, I don't think I can do all that right now. Like just the other day, someone was saying, you know, can we have a podcast? Um, can we have daily reflections? And I thought, those are all great ideas. You know, maybe not right now. Um, and I think the key is what, what, what is something unique that we can contribute? Um, you know, there's already, as you know, there are already very many good podcasts. And is that something we can contribute? Or is there something we need to kind of focus on? But it's really exciting. I think one of the surprising things is that there's this kind of pent-up demand for articles on LGBTQ Catholics. And I don't think there was, you know, America can't publish every day an article on LGBTQ Catholics. We can, you know, so it's, it's kind of fun. And I'm certainly not having any trouble finding people to write for us. Yeah, that's a good problem to have. Mm -hmm. um, it also you know, makes me think of, uh, again, like subsidiarity, right? Like it's, it's, a, very, mm -hmm. it's a very Catholic approach to, 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 to not, well, I, in, in theory, right, to not uh, speak from above and say this mm -hmm. is how you should do things, but to, but to say, empower a community to, uh, to lead and to be, be part of it, right? Yeah, so I and also that's to, important. Yeah, and also to start small. I think it's important to start small. I remember when I was in, Je in Jesuit Refugee Service, um, the, the then head of Jesuit Refugee Service, a guy named Mark Raper, former provincial of Australia. We were starting up a, a, a shop called the Mikono Center in Nairobi. And I had all these big plans. And he says, yeah, we, we want to start small. And I thought that's good. You know, you start small to see if it works. Uh, and then you grow from there instead of having these grand, kind of grandiose plans. So right now it's a website with news and views, resources. You know, we'll see where it goes. We'll see how, how big it gets or, again, where the spirit wants it to go. Yeah. Yeah. You work on that kernel, right? And the foundation. Yeah. And then you go from there. You know, I um, just I, I want to help people kind of have a have a deeper understanding of why this is important. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 um, and why this community needs mm -hmm. uh, you know, need, needs our accompaniment. Right. So I, I think you wrote uh, not long ago a, a really powerful article in America uh, reflecting on some of those statistics um, yeah. that uh, that face this community. I, I know mm -hmm. uh, there's some, you know, probably some pr surprising things in there, uh, like the the homelessness rate among among trans folks, right? And and um, of course, you know, there's a very high suicide rate. So can you mm -hmm. can you paint us a picture um, of, of of some of these statistics that we should know as as just kind of people of good faith, and then maybe uh, share some reflections on why it's important that we know these things and and don't just kind of write them off as you know numbers. Sure. Well, the first, the, the answer to the second question is because, you know, these are our brothers and sisters and they're suffering. And you're right. A lot of people don't really know these, uh, these facts. So, for example, most homeless youth are LGBTQ youth who have been kicked out of their, their families. Um, the suicide rates for LGBT, well, let's say LGB, um, lesbian, gay, and bisexual uh, youth are much higher than for straight kids. For transgender youth, it's, it's kind of skyrocketed. It's through the roof. There's a great deal of violence and harassment um, and beating, you know, and also kind of internationally, there are 10 countries where you can be executed for being LGBTQ, for engaging in same-sex relations. I think in 70 countries, it's illegal, right? So, you know, when you think about people being executed, when you think about uh, suicides, you have to, we have to conclude, you know, it's a life issue for a lot of people. And we're, you know, I'm pro-life and the Catholic Church is pro-life. Um, and these are lives that matter. So that, that's the first thing. A second thing is, you know, kind of within the church, LGBT people are really kind of targeted. I mean, they, they lose their jobs, they're harassed, um, you know, there's all sorts of homophobic language used against them. And then even at a kind of 
um, less sort of fraught level, many of them don't feel welcome in their parishes. They don't, I mean, imagine you walk into your parish and you don't feel welcome because of something a priest says or something your bishop has said. And so a lot of LGBTQ people feel marginalized from their own church. People say, I, I was asked this question this morning um, on, in an interview, well, how do you reconcile people who are LGBTQ and Catholic? And I said, well, there's nothing to reconcile. They're baptized Catholic and they're, you know, lesbian, gay or bisexual or whatever. And yet they don't feel like they're part of the church. And so something like this, I think, is really important uh, to gather together all these resources to, 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 to show them people who really feel like, who, who are speaking to them and saying they're part of the church, like this Bishop John Stowe. We're going to have articles on um, giving the sacraments to LGBTQ people, just, just as a place to let them feel uh, welcome and valued and at home. But you're right. There are a lot of statistics that really should kind of frighten us and should really embolden us and inspire us to take care of what is basically an at-risk community uh, in society and also a marginalized community in the church. Um, let me ask another question kind of on this topic. Uh, obviously, I follow you on Twitter. Um, and, I, and I think that too often we see people you know, throw uh, some sort of, you know, scripture line or some sort mm -hmm. of, you know, church teaching, you know, both mm -hmm. in Catholicism, but also kind of in Christianity writ large. Um, it, it, you know, we have these kind of like, uh, it feels like a theological, mm -hmm. you know, roadblock mm -hmm. um, that, that people say, oh, this is why it's, you know, quite, almost okay mm -hmm. to hate people or okay yeah. to, to, um, to discard people, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and I imagine, you know, that <laughs> that angers you, it angers me, right? When we use kind of the, the language of our mm -hmm. God of love to, to peddle hate. But but I wonder kind of once you uh, uh, once you look at this how how do you respond to somebody who who thinks that you know God wants us to hate a certain a certain person how how do we respond in a way that's both charitable but also you know maybe helps that move that person to say no you know our our God is our God of love and and not of of hate and violence well usually they they'll say well I I hate the sin but I, I hate the sin but I love the sinner and but the problem is that they're you know they're by their actions they're generally just focusing on these LGBTQ people as sinners, you know, exclusively, when we're all sinners. And where does this come from? I mean, to your point, a lot of it comes from Scripture. And we have to admit that, right, in the Old Testament and in St. Paul, there are some pretty strict um, restrictions against homosexuality. It's called an abomination in Leviticus. The, the problem is that, you know, there's lots of things that are written in Leviticus that we understand differently. So I always say to people, okay, Leviticus, um, do you think that people should be stoned for blaspheming, for taking the name of the Lord in vain? And they said, well, of course not. Do you think a woman should be stoned for adultery? Do you think people should be burned to death, death if they sleep with a certain person in their family? Well, no, we don't think that. Why don't you think a, woman, a person should be stoned for blasphemy? Well, we just, we just don't. We think about those things differently. So then how is it that you're suddenly sort of fundamentalist and literalist about homosexuality? So it's very selective. I mean, that, that's the problem. We do understand these these uh, restrictions and these, these words in a different way. The same way we don't stone people who take the name of the Lord in vain. We don't. And so I think when you can kind of encourage people to see it that way. Now, the problem is a lot of people, they're just intransigent. They won't see it that way. And I think the only way to really um, help these people is through stories and through encounters with LGBT people. And, and I think that's why I hear so many people who say, oh, I was really, you know, against this until my son came out or until my daughter came out. And then it's not a stereotype or a category. It's a person. And we learn through encounters and stories. And I think we learn that through that more than we do from uh, arguments and debates and proof texting and things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that call to encounter, I think, mm -hmm. right? That's that's what Pope Francis has been inviting us to, and and I think it's it's you know it's it is it's, it's the it's how we meet we meet God in so many ways, right? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's a reason, as they say, uh, why Jesus taught in stories, right? I mean, Jesus, when he's asked, "Who is my neighbor?" He doesn't say, "Here are the ten points that make up a neighbor." He says, "You know, let me tell you about a man who went down to Jericho and tells you the story of the Good Samaritan." Or, uh, "What is the reign of God like?" He says, "You know, here's the story about a mustard seed." He doesn't say, "Here's the." Here's the six points, you know, with A, B, and C that make up the reign of God. He tells stories, and I think when we encounter LGBTQ people and we hear their stories, it's the same for any group that might be marginalized, refugees or migrants, it just opens us up. Um, arguments, I think, kind of close us down and force us into the corner, and stories just open us up. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. I mean, he doesn't say, you know, um, Okay, now here's the definition. Now that I've told the story, he just tells the story, and 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 people understand it better. I think. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, just kind of a comment on that. You know, how mm -hmm. how can we stories make us more curious, right? And mm -hmm. and I yeah, I'm in this class point. right now, and and the professor was. You know, it, 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 I think this is a quote from somebody else, but but he essentially says, you know, are are we inviting people to to carry the mystery? Or are we trying to answer the mystery? Something like that, right? And and yeah, good, good stories invite us to carry the mystery, mm -hmm. kind of recognizing, right, that we're uh, we're never going to know it all. And 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 if we're too quick to answer, you know, answer mystery, well, then it's no longer mystery, right? Yeah. And and, and I think people are mystery, right? So mm -hmm. I think you know a lot of times when people say to me, oh, you know, LGBTQ Catholics, I'll tell them a story about someone. You know, I'll say here's a story about my friend Carlos and his husband Jim, and Carlos was a uh, this is true. Carlos was a spiritual director, a Eucharistic minister, a lector. The two of them were together for 20 years. Jim cared for him as he was dying of cancer. Uh, you know, he, he sent him to Lourdes. We sent him to Lourdes on a trip. Jim went to visit him there. They met up. They had this beautiful experience in the grotto. And I just said, like, this is an LGBTQ Catholic, right? You, you need to listen to that story. They're not just categories, and they're not just kind of objects of one or two lines in the catechism for you to sort of, you know, bat them over the head with the catechism. These are individuals, human beings, mystery, as you were saying, who need to be understood as, you know, as straight people need to be understood. I think one of the reasons we're more accepting and forgiving of straight people whose lives don't conform to church teaching, for example, uh, married couples who use birth control, is that we know them. So no one says, well, how can married, you know, 80% of married couples, I saw this the other day, don't think that 80% uh, of Catholic married couples don't think that birth control is a moral problem, okay? So in other words, 80% uh, agree with birth, con birth control. Now, no one says, well, why we shouldn't let any married couples into the church? They're all sinners. No one says that. If I say I'm going to give a talk to a married group, a, ma a married group, they don't say, well, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. Now, I can see you smiling. And why don't we say that? Be well, because we know them. We know them. We understand that they... Uh, sort of have consciences and are sort of reflecting on church teaching. But suddenly with LGBT people, it's all, you know, you're sinful and nothing else. So it's it's very selective. Right. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, we always, do we want to reduce people to, you know, one or two sins, right? That, yeah, or, that's, or just, that's not mystery. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, you know, you're also reducing them just to sexuality, right? Well, I mean, the, yeah. We don't say anything about, oh, you know, um, you know, why should business people be allowed in the church because they're not paying just wages or they're, you know, ruining the environment? Oh, that's okay. It's, it's, all, it's all sexual sins, but it's the sexual sins of just the LGBT people. It's not straight people's sexual sins that gets us upset because we know them and we say, okay, we trust them and we understand their consciences. So it's real. It is discriminatory, basically. And a lot yeah. of it just comes from homophobia. Yeah.
Yeah, and I mean, it just you know, if we're thinking about our uh, our Jesuit lingo, right, our our mm-hmm. personalis, you know, that's that's caring for the whole person, right? That's we're not right. reducing people to anything. We're 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 expanding yeah. our horizon of of, mm-hmm. of who we see as uh, and 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 all the potential in a person, as opposed to let me let me run you through a filter until like there's nothing left of you know there's one or two key things, and that's all I I want to know about you. That's right. right. Like, you know, imagine giving a talk to. I mean, you're married. Imagine going to a talk on marriage. And the entire talk was on birth control, like the whole talk, or or a six part series on marriage, and the entire six parts was on birth. You would say this this is just one small element of you know the married life, but that's the way LGBTQ people are treated. That that's how they're treated through that lens. There's only one thing that matters, and they're sinful if they're not uh, they're not adhering to that. So it's 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 pretty. As I said, it's pretty narrow and it's pretty discriminatory. Yeah. Um, you, you spoke earlier about, uh, you know, when LGBTQ folks come into a parish or a church, right, mm-hmm. and, and they, they feel, um, uh, you know, looked down upon or, or mm-hmm. they feel, or they're made to feel uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm always mindful of, of the many things that I don't know, um, or at least I'm mindful that there are many things that I don't know. <laughs> so I wonder if you, um, again, in your work in ministry and the conversations you're having with folks, you know, what are some of the things that, um, that we should all be aware of as we're trying to create welcoming and inclusive um, and hospitable places in our churches and our faith communities and, and even in our homes. You know, what what are some some things that we take for granted or, or miss uh, that, that that can really be a big deal for for folks and making them feel welcome? Well, that's a great question because I think you know it, it does go for parishes and schools and homes. I think that I think it's actually easier than what may, many people think. I think part of it is just listening first of all, listening to their experiences befriending them the same way you would befriend anybody. I mean, celebrating with them when things are good and, you know, kind of crying with them when things are bad. But I think the difference with um, a marginalized group like this, um, or let's say a minority group like this, is, is advocating for them too. And that sometimes can, you know, bring some heat, right? So advocating for them in a parish or advocating for them in a school or, you know, maybe in your neighborhood. But it's, it's mainly listening to them, and, you know, they'll tell you what they need. I think one of the things that's hard for people, like, you know, I know generally the, the people who are listening to this podcast, you know, they're, they're kind of, um, their background more or less, um, is that people think, well, how bad can it be? My parish is fine. But I hear these horror stories, you know, all the time from people and where, whose parishes are not fine or whose schools are not fine, uh, you know, or who are harassed, right, when they go to church. And I think, you know, those of us who maybe live in the Jesuit world where I think things are a little more open and welcoming, I think need to be reminded of what a lot of LGBT people go through. And that's just in the United States. I mean, when you think of overseas, it's, I mean, come on, you know, like in Eastern Europe, where some of the bishops have called LGBT people a rainbow plague, um, in Western Africa, where some of the bishops side with laws criminalizing homosexuality. I mean, they support them. So we, we, that's the other thing. We have to remember that this is a, a universal question because it's a universal church, and we have to really stand up for people who are um, you know, being really persecuted overseas. Yeah, that's, that's such an important point. And, mm-hmm. and that point goes, I think, beyond um, what we're talking about today, sure. right? I think so, so often in the U.S. Catholic Church or even just kind of in North America— you know, we we think all of the hot button issues are, are just for us, or mm-hmm. these are the things the Pope's got to focus on today. And, That's right. And we and we forget the you know the faith experience of of so many people around the world is so radically different. Um, I think that's right. The other thing I think that's um, helpful for Americans, and, and I would say uh, LGBT people and their families in the United States, 
is that when, for example, the Pope does something uh, that seems kind of, you know, like kind of no big deal for us. A couple of months ago, he said that uh, parents should welcome children with different sexual orientations. Now, even saying that word uh, is a big deal. Now, we say, oh, well, of course they should, you know, and a big deal, right? Why isn't he saying more? But if you're in Ghana or Poland uh, or India, that's a big deal. Right. And that's actually something that a lot of bishops would have a hard time with. And so we have to remember that when he is speaking that way, what seems tepid over here or lukewarm is kind of white hot in other places. So to your point, we do tend to get a little focused just on the U.S. Yeah, no, I, I, I that's, that's those are helpful, uh, specific examples. Yeah. I think as we all like listen to the the sound bites from the pope, it, it's good to think, how is this being heard elsewhere? Exactly. Um, tell me, uh, last last questions or kind of last two sure. questions here. What? Um, tell me about the reception so far. Um, how is outreach kind of um, hitting people in its first kind of couple weeks uh, of existence? And then, um, how can folks get involved if they want to write or learn more or maybe share? You know, just be on the, the cutting edge. You know, what's what's the uh, what can they do? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, very positive so far. We we have metrics, of course. So the numbers are doing great, kind of uh, bigger than I thought. Interestingly, a lot of people are going to the resource page to look at uh, all the different resources to help them um, to to um, get involved. Our website is now it's a new domain name, believe it or not. You, it's outreach.faith, not .faith.edu or .faith.org, outreach.faith. And there's lots of ways you there's a there's a ask us button, a contact us. There's also places where you can nominate people for this Gaudete section, like if you know a good parish or a school or a person. And yeah, I mean, it's if you want to write something, just uh, just email us. Uh, we're, we're really. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of stumbling because we're just getting started and it's it's uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a work in progress, but very easy to find us, very easy to get in touch with us. And, you know, give us a give us an idea of what you want to see, too. That's awesome. Father Jim Martin, thank you so much for joining us on AMDG. My pleasure. We hope you'll come back again. I hope so, too. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C., and occasionally in my basement. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at Jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, connect with your local vocations promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.